This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. Hi again, I'm Bill Pollack. Bonnie and Clyde had a dust-up in Joplin in the early 30s. We'll hear that story. One town with less than 300 people draws over 300,000 a year. All it takes is a little wine and a scenic view. You'll hear more about a crime prevention and safety bill in the state legislature as well. Missouri is joining Reentry 2030, a national initiative aimed at improving outcomes for people leaving prison. Elisa Nelson talks to Alex Earls with the Missouri Department of Corrections about the program. We're super excited to be one of the first states joining uh, Reentry 2030. As many of you know, or maybe you don't know, we have 19 facilities throughout the state, correctional facilities. Um, and inside of them, we have about 19,000 folks, um, and we release close to 13,000 individuals each year. Um, our main goal is to ensure that we are uh, doing everything we can to help individuals coming back to our Missouri communities be the best that they can be. Um, this initiative came on board, and, and our state department is extremely excited uh, from the governor's office to all of our other state departments, as well as the Department of Corrections. Uh, we're extremely excited to really provide direct services, intentional services to our uh, returning Missourians back to our communities. Now, how will this be different from what you're doing now, Alex? So now we are very targeted in our approach. Um, we are looking, um, we've set some very lofty goals. We're looking to really work on to help our population enter the workforce ready to go. Um, we've set a very lofty goal that 100% of our um, folks will be receiving career services, um, that 85% of them will be employed within 30 days, and that 80% will maintain their employment for a, a minimum of nine months after incarceration. Um, so we are very focused on that workforce, which is also a massive driver to all of the wraparound services that are needed. Um, in order to obtain gainful and meaningful employment, they need to have stable housing. They need to have transportation, reliable transportation. They need to make sure that their basic needs are met. We need to ensure that the, we're providing them uh, mental health services or not necessarily us, but community partners are providing them the mental health services and the medical services and the substance use disorder services that they may be uh, needing. So uh, it's really making just taking us to another level to be very intentional to really help Missouri drive forward with its workforce initiatives on the state level, but also ensuring that our population is, is not missed and that they are coming in and helping uh, Missouri go to another level. Do you measure those rates now, Alex? I'm curious how they compare to kind of where you're at now. We measure them to some degree. Um, this is going to force us a little bit more to ensure um, that all of our data collection and everything else is, is up to the standard. But um, we can look at, you know, I think I just saw a job um, report recently that's saying about Missouri sitting at about a 1.7 unemployment rate, which is absolutely incredible. It's great to see Missourians in the workforce. Um, but the, a disclaimer to that is, unfortunately, our population, our probation and parole supervised population and our Unemployment rate with that uh, exact population is sitting right around 30 to 36 percent, anywhere between 30 and 35 percent of unemployment. Um, so it's something that we really need to make sure that we are are more focused on, that we're getting them those jobs, that we're working to ensure that they're ready, that they're trained, and they have the services that are, are needed to them to, so that they can uh, get off of unemployment and get into the workforce. What are the main struggles for people incarcerated that they are dealing with when they get out? So there is a lot of struggles. I mean, you got if you ever been inside of a facility or um, been incarcerated, you understand that you know integration back into the community 
is substantial. You know, as you think through and you look through, you know, how life has changed for us in the last year. And then you go back to two years and you take that all the way back to 10 years and further on. Life has evolved and life has changed. Technology is a massive driver in a lot of those changes. So, you know, ensuring that our population is getting up to speed in technology release is one of our is, is an important thing for us to do as a department. Um, we really just got to make sure that we're focusing on helping them. But if you look at the massive barriers and you look at those types of things, you're talking housing, stable housing. How do we ensure that they have a roof over their head that's also going to provide a space that is conducive to success? How do they have reliable transportation? Public transportation in many parts of our state um, is either non-existent or never even been a thought. So how do we ensure that they have reliable transportation? How are we making sure that their medical needs are being addressed and, and that they have the, the proper documentations in order to obtain employment and obtain services? Um, so those are a lot of the big struggles that individuals will face. But another big one is the family. You know, if you remove a mom or a dad from the family unit for, you know, a, 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 any, anywhere from a few months to to years, you know, and then to reintegrate back into the family, how do we make sure that they're prepared for what that's going to look like? That can always be another big challenge for them because they care so much about, you know, they think that they can just go in, they can be dad and mom again. But what they don't understand is, you know, they've been removed from the family and, and life still continued. So we really, those are a lot of the biggest barriers that you will see with individuals transitioning back into the community. Um, but we're excited to, to try to solve those gaps and, and move forward and, and get the get them into a better spot. Alex, are there particular industries um, that those leaving prison seem to be attracted to pursuing? And will those industries be a focus of what you're doing here? Yeah, so if we look at the economy of Missouri um, and we look at skills gaps, we look at different areas of, of high importance. Where do we have the biggest job openings? You know, ideally and statistically speaking, you know, a lot of folks enter the construction trade. They go into um, either private practice, in a sense, or private industry. Um, and then they also get into our, our labor unions. Um, so that's always a good one um, because it does pay well. Pay well. Um, individuals are able to to have a livable wage or able to provide for their family. So construction industry is always a, a very important one. Um, we also look in, we're looking into manufacturing. We want to ensure that we uh, can be a contributor to Missouri as, as we look to revolutionize, as we look to expand and, and attract new employers into our state that, you know, we have a workforce, a capable workforce, a trained workforce. So we're focusing a lot of attention into manufacturing and automation and, and stuff along that line. So we're looking into that and, and they seem to be very second chance friendly. Um, commercial drivers, um, we, as we all know, you know, we've been short truck drivers um, and class A CDL holders. Um, so that always seems to attract them as well. And, and uh, the hospitality industry has always been good, uh, whether it be line cooks, whether it be, you know, other areas of that. Um, and we look to expand into to everywhere, honestly, um, as we look to coding and we look to different programs that can really set these individuals up for a pathway to success. All right. Missouri is joining Reentry 2030, a national initiative aimed at improving outcomes for people leaving prison. Missouri Department of Corrections Reentry Program Administrator Alex Earls joins Show Me Today 
to talk about this new initiative. I'm Elisa Nelson. As far as uh, we were talking about the different industries, do you have a goal in terms of how many businesses, how many community partners um, that you want to be involved in this whole initiative with you? I mean, if I have it my way, I want every employer in the state to be open to hiring individuals with um, previous criminal uh, involvement. Um, because I think, it, you know, you we are quick to judge, we're quick to jump to conclusions um, when it comes to this population. But the, they are incredible workers. They're incredibly smart folks um, who made some poor choices in their life. Um, so my biggest ask is, you know, if you're a hiring manager, you work for an organization, be open-minded to hiring this population. So I want to see our network of second-chance employers in our state truly exceed um, and grow to thousands would be great um, because we have thousands of people releasing. So the more options that they have, um, the better we off we will be. Now, do most offenders who leave prison, do they leave with an employable skill? Yes, I would say majority. I would say we're um, upper 80s, if not 90s percentile that people have skills that can easily transfer into the workforce. Um, every individual in, inside of our facilities, at most of our sites, um, they have jobs while they have spent time with us. Um, so they've learned skills, whether it be janitorial skills, cooking skills, maintenance skills. Um, then we also, you know, we are very big advocates into providing workforce trainings and career and technical education, as well as higher education, uh, to where we are really trying to prepare them the best that we can uh, for a life of success. All right. Alex Earls, Missouri Department of Corrections Reentry Program Administrator. This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. Hi, Grandma. Can Nina come over for dinner? Sure. I've been meaning to ask you, what would happen if someone offered you a drink? Grandma! If anyone ever does, I want you to say, no, I have too much respect for my family and I don't want to get in trouble. I promise, Grandma. They really do hear you. For tips on what to say, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. That's underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. This message brought to you by SAMHSA and this station. Meet Ed, movie buff, animal lover, safe driver. Five years of driving an ambulance teaches you a thing or two. If people knew what I know, lives could be saved. When I see a car trying to rush past a turning bus, I get concerned. You see, when big vehicles turn right, they have to swing wide to make the turn. And that's a lesson you don't want to learn the hard way. When trucks and buses turn, let's you and I wait. It's, it's our roads. It's, it's our safety. safety. Visit www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. Women hear a lot about self-care these days. Advice on ways to relax, exercise, eat healthy, and more. Those are all great. But one of the most important self-care steps we can take is making sure we're financially secure later in life. That means saving money for retirement. It's never too late to start. And it's the kind of self-care that brings peace of mind that lasts. For small steps you can take to save for retirement, visit WeSaySaveIt.org. That's WeSaySaveIt.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. A Shiro's work is never done. You care for the house, the kids, and our future. We're so grateful for all you do. Now, it's time to care for yourself and save a little more for retirement. A free three-minute online chat can give you the personalized tips you need to boost your retirement savings now. Visit aceyourretirement.org today. 
a public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Do you worry about how much someone drinks? Do you feel angry or depressed most of the time? Do you feel neglected or unloved? Do you feel that if the drinker loved you, she or he would stop drinking? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you are not alone. Not everyone trapped by alcohol is an alcoholic. Families and friends are suffering too. Al-Anon and Alateen can help. Call 1-866-200-0223 or visit alanon.org slash help. The United States Deputy Sheriff's Association is a national nonprofit and the largest non-governmental provider of services to law enforcement. The USDSA assists city, county, state, and federal agencies with free safety equipment donations and officer survival training along with cash donations to families of law enforcement officers who perish in the line of duty, college scholarships for the children of law enforcement, a citizen awareness program, and more. For more information on the USDSA and how you can help, visit usdeputy.org. We're back on Show Me Today, The Voice of Missouri. I'm Bill Pollack with Danita Allenwood of Missouri Life Magazine. And we're going to talk about the quaint little town of Roachport along the Missouri River and just off I-70. It sits up on a bluff. Danita, nice to have you on again. Thank you for having me. Roachport isn't very big in terms of population. No, it's less than 300 people. I have to tell you, in spite of that, we have two fine restaurants (laughs) for such a small town. Yeah, there is uh, a lot to do in that tiny little town of Roachport, a winery, shops, restaurants, and we'll talk about that. But how did Roachport become uh, an attraction, a go-to place? Well, uh, probably because of the Katy Trail, at least in modern times. Of course, in the back in the day, it the Roachport actually was founded by the French, and, and that's a French word for Rocky Port, and Lewis and Clark came up the river and stopped there, and so uh, that that was, that's part of the attraction. We're right beside the river, and today, many, many people pass through uh, Roachport on the Katy Trail. I've heard as much as 300,000 um, in a year. People come from all over the world to ride the Katy Trail. And, of course, at Roachport, we think it's one of the prettiest. It is one of the longest stretches right beside the river, and it's it's between the river and the bluffs. And you can see the uh, Native American uh, pictographs uh, on a bluff near Roachport. So there's a lot of appeal to the nature part of Roachport. A town of less than 300 with 300,000 visitors. That's Roachport. Danita Allenwood from Missouri Life Magazine. Did did you grow up in the area? No, I actually didn't. But we have lived near Roachport now since 1995 when I returned to my home state. Yeah, and uh, in Missouri Life Magazine, your home offices are right there in town. That is correct. And, and uh, we are really enjoying being in Roachport. Um, I'll tell you, Bill, we've been in three towns, each exactly nine miles from our farm. <laughs> and I, Roachport is wonderful to be in. It's just a wonderful environment. We can, our, we and myself and employees, we we will uh, hop down and walk on the Katy Trail for a break, and it's wonderful. Well, even if you don't 
access the Katy Trail, Roachport is still worth a visit. And you had mentioned uh, two great restaurants. Talk about those. Yes, we have Meriwether's, which is a wonderful, it's right at the Katy Trail trailhead, so you will always see a lot of bikers there. But you will also see it's a destination for people who drive out from Columbia for lunch or breakfast, and you'll see a lot of locals there as well. Um, they have a eclectic menu. It's they they depend on as much local purchased in season product as well. So it's an ever changing menu, and it's uh, a great place to dine. And and then the other one is the General Store, which is um, just a another high level uh, food place. It's it's, it's called the General Store and Cafe, but it's uh, the chef was formerly at Abigail's. Some of your listeners may have known Abigail's. And so, again, it's uh, fresh and ever-changing menu. Uh, what you would expect in a, uh, a bigger, a much bigger city, it's not um, the country comfort food cafe you might expect. It's got a wonderful uh, menu of a of uh, different items. I mean, you might find pot stickers one day. You might find um, a, a brie salad, for example. So different things like that. Danita Allenwood of Missouri Life Magazine. You may want to take a trip to Roachport just off of I-70 and the Missouri River. Uh, and if you're a fan of wine, there's a great winery. Now, they're going through a name change. What's what's going on? Um, it has been popularly known as Les Bourgeois for many, many years, and they're they're now uh, the bluff top at Rochefort, rebranding re a little, although they've said they will always retain the Les Bourgeois brand as well. So, uh, but it's the bluff top at Rochefort now, if you're driving on the interstate, those are the signs you'll see, and it's been a wonderful I mean, it's a winery that's been here ever since I have, and they they um, have two really cool places to visit. The one is kind of a bistro, fine dining. Uh, it overlooks the river, and then there's a little A-frame if you're just going for. <clears throat> they'll have snacks and wine and it's an outdoor venue you can sit outside and look over the wind over the river and that's fun too a lot of friends and um, different groups you'll see groups of teachers friends it's it's a fun place to go you know on a late afternoon it's just a uh, you get to sit out and have a glass of wine and see the river. I mean, what more do you need? <laughs> yeah, the views are amazing. Uh, and then there's quite a few shops in the downtown area, too. Yes, there are many shops. There's the Stockton Mercantile. There's uh, Southern Provisions. And Southern Provisions is interesting because it, it also carries many items for the gentlemen, and you don't often find that in gift shops, so it's very unique, and there are several others. There's a pottery shop, there's antique shops, there's a lot of small shops, so there's a day full of, of shopping just for people who are interested 
and wandering around. It's all within a very short, very walkable community, all very close together, so you can easily enjoy getting around to all of them. And and there's one new one. Tell May me. I tell you about that? Absolutely, yeah. Tell <laughs> us about that. <laughs> Missouri Life itself is opening a little pocket boutique called the Missouri Life Mercantile, and we're featuring all made-in-Missouri items. So we're we're trying to join the people who give, the the merchants who give people who are walking around town a destination. And we, we hope people will walk in and see us as well. Now, ours is a much smaller place. It's a little, I'm describing it as a, Pocket Boutique, because, of course, our main business is the magazine. and um, But we know so many Made in Missouri products and artists and artisans and vendors of different Made in Missouri products, and we thought that would be a fun little theme to have some things like that in our, in our office. Danita Ellenwood from Missouri Life Magazine. I mean, apparently the 300 or so people that live in Rochport don't mind uh, being a destination place on the map. It's a pretty tight-knit community. I think most it is, and I think they work together to have special events on many second Saturdays of the year. In fact, on most of them, um, they have a Rochport stroll coming up in June, and they uh, work together to have music in the evenings at a, a small community hall that anyone can um, come and listen to and join in. And then the other thing I should mention is there are wonderful bed and breakfasts uh, in our town. There, uh, it, there are there's a schoolhouse, an old schoolhouse that has been converted to the, a bed and breakfast that has great food itself, and um, it is called Schoolhouse B&B. And then there are many others. There's um, um, Girls' Night Inn, the Amber Inn, and several others that are available. I have also been told, haven't verified this, that there are really about 300 um beds, if you will, between the B&Bs and Airbnbs in town. So, oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's great. Welcome visitors. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, for Danita, for anybody that's uh, coming, whether you're in mid-Missouri or you're taking a, a couple of hours, I mean, it's a great weekend. As you mentioned, you can spend a day just walking around the shops, and then there is the Katy Trail, and you can... Uh, spend the afternoon or cap off the evening uh, at the winery so yeah a lot of fun things to do uh, in Roachport Danita Allenwood always appreciate the visit this sounds like a, a great weekend getaway for uh, Missourians thank you this is show me today the voice of Missouri meet Ed movie buff animal lover safe driver five years of driving an ambulance teaches you a thing or two if people knew what I know lives could be saved when I see a car trying to rush past the turning bus, I get concerned. You see, when big vehicles turn right, they have to swing wide to make the turn. And that's a lesson you don't want to learn the hard way. When trucks and buses turn, let's you and I wait. It's, it's our roads. roads. It's, it's our safety. safety. Visit www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. If you're talking, they will hear you. 
Why are we getting killed like this? Kyle's not here. Got caught drinking during the park a couple of nights ago. Really? Yeah. Zero tolerance. He's out for the season. Harsh. Hey, he knew not to drink. We've made that clear to all of our kids, right? Uh, no, not really. Bill, if we don't tell them what we expect and why they shouldn't drink, how are they going to know? Talk. They hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. You try. All the talks we've had over the years, including what you've told me about not using alcohol and other drugs, they stick with me. And believe it or not, they really do make a difference, especially at times that matter most. Hey, want a drink? No thanks, I'm good. So thank you, Dad, for talking and preparing me for what's ahead. Thank you for talking. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Hi, it's Tori DeVito. In every family, small conversations can make a big impact. Like when my dad shared his experiences as an alcoholic. Your honesty about that part of your life gave me a sense of integrity that I wanted to uphold in my own life. I wanted you to know from someone who's been in recovery more than 30 years now that hard work is what creates success, not alcohol or other drugs. I said it a lot, and I'm glad you took it to heart. Talk. They hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. When it comes to vaping, the truth can get clouded. So let's make it clear. Vaping is not safe for kids, teens, or young adults. It's just not. Because vaping can put microscopic particles into your lungs. And dangerous things like metals and volatile organic compounds into your body. And nicotine, the same highly addictive substance found in regular cigarettes. Nicotine can harm a person's brain development through their mid-20s. Affecting learning, memory, attention, and impulse control, and priming the brain for other addictions. Vaping products also come in kid-friendly flavors that can make them appealing to youth. And many kids also use other drugs, like marijuana, in vaping devices. With appealing flavors, high nicotine levels, and lots of promotion on social media. Many kids think vaping is harmless, but it's not. So talk to your kids about the risks of vaping, because when you talk, they hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Email from school about the incident today. Scary. Tell me about it. Did you have any idea that was going on? None. I mean, you saw Derek at the game last night, too. Did you have a clue? No, but you know, teachers like me, parents, we don't always know as much as you guys do. Kids hear first about what's going on with other kids. Half the time, it's rumors. It can be hard to tell sometimes, but if you're ever concerned about a friend who's having trouble with alcohol, prescription drugs, bullying, violence, anything, you need to tell an adult. Mom or me, a teacher, coach, school counselor, someone you know and trust. Dad, no kid is going to tell an adult about that kind of stuff. I get it, but if we don't know, we can't help. Speaking up about a problem, that's what helping a friend is all about. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. This is Show Me Today. You know the names Bonnie and Clyde. The criminal couple was known for bank and store robberies across the Midwest. And they had their share of issues in Joplin. Cameron Connor is with Joplin historian Brad Belk to discuss a famous shootout on April 13th, 1933. Let's see here, Brad. So in order to get this conversation started, why was the public interested in Bonnie and Clyde in general? Can you give can you give an overview? Yes. Uh, what we have to uh, put in, we have to put this in historical context. And 
And we're talking about the Great Depression. And, you know, the Great Depression was one of the most horrific periods of time ever in American history for everyone. Uh, class, uh, culture, no matter what, uh, it, it, it got and affected everyone. The, the point of that is, is that, um, you know, we are at a, we're at a very time, a big time low. And, and not that we're looking for entertainment and clearly uh, not outlaw entertainment, but there did seem to be something that they, uh, the media was making a, a big thing out of criminals at that time. And the criminals uh, were making big names for themselves, not in a good way. But, you know, just to put it in one perspective, you know, they you didn't have to say they're even their last names. Uh, they were known just as Bonnie and Clyde, their first names. And to me, that says a lot. Uh, in that respect, and still uh, carries today uh, when you would mention the names of, of Bonnie and Clyde. But they were uh, they were as well known as uh, professional athletes and movie stars. Uh, they uh, they they had that same um, height and, and value in that respect. The, when they passed away, the the Dallas Times sold an, another half million uh, newspaper uh, newspapers that for that edition. But I think that the real thing that is still puzzling to me, uh, maybe not for that era, but it's it's confusing. Um, Henry Ford or someone from his organization at one point in time in this two years of terror that uh, Bonnie and Clyde were are a part of, they actually um, formed this letter that was supposedly written by uh, Clyde. And it was about uh, basically why um, he liked to like Fords. Well, he actually, you know, stole Fords. But the the amazing thought about that is that, you know, today, would we have a criminal who's killed police officers and innocent people and, and using them as a, a, a focal point for somebody to sell some sort of product? Well, no, of course, we would never do that. But that shows you the uh, the popularity or the pop culture that they were representing, that Henry Ford would actually uh, form this letter that uh, uh, Clyde would be endorsing his product, which <laughs> I just find utterly amazing. You mentioned the terror for two years. How the heck is it? I can't even imagine how it's remotely possible that these two desperate outlaws are remaining loose, remaining free. How could that be possible? That That is. I mean, it, it is it is a head scratching moment uh, that how in the world could they uh, be out on the run for, for two years? And and on several, many occasions, not several, uh, well, at least somewhere around uh, 10 or 11, uh, where they were surrounded or actually the law enforcement uh, were in place to apprehend them and uh, somehow mysteriously missed. That was another thing of a mystery and a, uh, of how in the world could these people seem almost uh, escape any kind of uh, snare that they were ever involved in. But what we got to remember is um, at, at this point in time, if criminals ever had a little bit of an upper hand um, in this early 1930s, uh, was that was the time of an era that uh, where they could take advantage of it. And what I'm going where I'm going with that, there are some factors that are going on that are in in place that really does give them the upper hand or an advantage to some degree. One was uh, police officers had a, had a, a horrible. Um, and a very poor communication system. The other thing that um, uh, Bonnie and Clyde had the upper hand on, uh, where they were um, they outgunned the uh, the police officers that they were um, uh, facing. They their kind of weaponry were was definitely meant to maim and kill 
one of uh, Clyde's favorite uh, rifles was the Browning automatic rifle, and that uh, was used in World War One. You know, where you could shoot uh, a twenty a magazine of, of twenty bullets in uh, two and a half seconds. The good guys, uh, you know, carried thirty-eight revolvers, and they outcarred them. And they uh, they had the amazing thing in this transitional period is uh, V8 engine is just starting to, uh, to to be birthed and and is being placed in in automobiles. So he obviously would steal V8s because they beat the six cylinder all to all the heck. So they had a faster car, and not only did they have a faster car, but Clyde was an excellent driver and knew um, it could drive faster, take faster corners. You're listening to Show Me Today, The Voice of Missouri. I'm Cameron Connor. We're here with our Joplin area community historian, Brad Belk. We're talking about, this is episode four of our 12-part series that revolves around the 150th anniversary of Joplin. And today, it's giving us insight into Bonnie and Clyde and their ties to the Joplin area. All right, so, and if that's the case, so exactly what happened on the April 13th shootout in 1993? Well, what happened is that uh, these five police officers uh, gathered. They pulled. Uh, they were in two different cars. They pulled up to the garage uh, apartment. They purposely blocked so the the garage entrance uh, for the car so they could not uh, escape or leave. And uh, what was occurring at that time? W. D. Jones and uh, Clyde had been out on a reconnaissance mission during while their little stay here uh, in in April. Uh, it, there was a, a noticeable. Uh, increase in crime. Uh, there were uh, people being, um, like at uh, campgrounds, uh, being held up, and then there was a jewelry store, a holdup. Uh, could be associated with Clyde and, and the gang. We'll never know about that, but it's just interesting. Uh, obviously, they continue to have, need to have money uh, to live and do what they were going to be doing, uh, and so possibly they were doing that. But uh, they were returning back. They were putting their, their garage door down, and they saw these uh, two police cars enter, and they immediately opened up fire. Uh, the police officers got out, uh, which was uh, detrimental and, and a mistake, and they were shot right there in the uh, driveway. Um, bullets are flying. You know, you think that this thing happened uh, for a long period of time. It maybe happened for a minute at the most. Uh, it was violent. It was horrible. We know the good guys fired 14 uh, bullets, but we don't know what uh, the, the outlaws did. But what happened when this gunfight broke out, uh, chaos upstairs, Buck and the ladies are upstairs, and they immediately, uh, Buck grabs some uh, weapons and uh, starts firing as well. And all hell breaks loose. Uh, like I said, two police officers lose their lives. They uh, they jump into the car, uh, don't pack. Uh, obviously, uh, they got to get out of there quick. Uh, they push the cars aside and they drive off. The important thing for police officers throughout the United States was that they were caught into selfies, taking pictures of each other, uh, Bonnie and Clyde. And they uh, they left a camera there with a with a couple of rolls of film, a Kodak film, and this is invaluable for the police authorities to know exactly who the gang is. Following the shootout itself, they're on the go, they're on the run. How long did it take for police authorities to apprehend and find Bonnie and Clyde? Well, it took about another year and a month after they 
cold-bloodedly killed two police officers in Joplin. It's I still, you know, today that would couldn't even be fathomable. Uh, even, uh, but back then it was, and their end was set up. They were set up by a, by a family member. They were in Louisiana on a rural road, Highway 154, and um, these policemen that had set their sights on them. They'd been after them for 102 days. Um, opened fire on them as they were driving on this highway, literally just filled their car full of uh, bullets and had no way of es- escaping. In fact, uh, one of the policemen that had been after him said that when it all was said and done, they were nothing but a bunch of wet rags. We're here with our Joplin area community historian, Brad Belk, and this has been an insight to Bonnie and Clyde and their interactions in Joplin, Missouri on April 13, 1933. Brad, once again, thank you so much, as always, for your time on Show Me Today, The Voice of Missouri. Talking to your kids about the dangers of vaping can be hard. Getting them to listen to hot gossip is easy. So here's some drama you could share with your kid. Dude, did you hear about Cassie and Jake? No, but did you hear that vaping can cause irreversible lung damage and nicotine affects brain development? <gasps> Nuh-uh. You don't need to gossip if you want to have an open conversation about vaping. So if you want to get tips on when and how to talk to your kids, visit talkaboutvaping.org. Brought to you by the American Lung Association and the Ad Council. As a truck driver, I've learned how important road safety is. I know that large trucks need more time and room to stop. That's why I always hang back and follow other vehicles at a safe distance. Everyone can help keep our roads safe. Next time you're driving, try to remember to always give trucks extra space when you merge in front of them. Let's all plan to share the road safely. Learn how at www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. When it comes to vaping, the truth can get clouded. So let's make it clear. Vaping is not safe for youth. Because vaping can put microscopic particles into your lungs. And dangerous things like metals into your body. And nicotine, which can harm a person's brain development through their mid-20s. With appealing flavors, high nicotine levels, and lots of promotion on social media. Many kids think vaping is harmless, but it's not. So talk to your kids about the risks of vaping. Because when you talk, they hear you. Learn more at underagedrinking.samsa.gov. We all make choices about alcohol. Kids make choices whether to drink or not. Bye, Dad. Remember, I'm going to Alex's party tonight and sleeping over. Hey, Em, remind me about that party again. And adults make choices whether to talk about it. That's true of parents and every other trusted adult in a kid's life. Kids want to know our expectations, and they want honest answers in everyday conversations. So talk with your kids and help lead them on a positive path. Because when you talk, they hear you. Learn more at underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Do you worry about how much someone drinks? Do you feel angry or depressed most of the time? Do you feel neglected or unloved? Do you feel that if the drinker loved you, she or he would stop drinking? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you are not alone. Not everyone trapped by alcohol is an alcoholic. Families and friends are suffering too. Al-Anon and Alateen can help. Call 1-866-200-0223 or visit alanon.org slash help. The United States Deputy Sheriff's Association is a national nonprofit and the largest non-governmental provider of services to law enforcement. The USDSA assists city, county, state, and federal agencies with free safety equipment donations and officer survival training along with cash donations to families of law enforcement officers who perish in the line of duty, college scholarships for the children of law enforcement, a citizen awareness program, and more. For more information on the USDSA and how you can help, visit usdeputy.org. Show me today.
We return to Show Me Today. I'm Bill Pollack. A crime prevention and public safety bill has gotten some attention in the Missouri legislature. The intent originally was to allow the Missouri governor to send a special prosecutor to the city of St. Louis. It includes several other items tacked onto the bill, but Representative Lane Roberts told Anthony Morbeth the attention solely focused on Kim Gardner. Well, the bill is about more than uh, just the special prosecutor, which has unfortunately captured all of the attention. Uh, it also deals with things like uh, truth in sentencing, bail reform, uh, back the blue. There's a provision called Blair's Law that deal, deals with celebratory gunfire that resulted in the death of a, of a young child. Uh, there is also uh, some uh, provisions for reimbursement of people who attend the police academy in an effort to make more opportunities for minorities, maybe low income, uh, folks who are perhaps uh, a, a little later in life and have mortgages and families. Because in Missouri, uh, each officer pays for the academy up front before they receive a license. And in most cases, uh, agencies don't receive an application unless you are licensed. So the individual incurs a $6,000 debt with no guarantee of a job. So that provision is pretty important. Uh, the truth in sentencing, a lot of people have expressed frustration with folks who are sentenced to a certain uh, uh, time or money, and uh, it never seems to materialize. It's, it's almost like it was a sentence, but the judge didn't really mean it. Um, and so this brings some uh, validity back to the sentence. The bail reform hopefully will... Uh, at least mitigate this sort of ricochet effect that we're having right now where criminals hit the jail and are back on the street within the hour. Uh, and unfortunately, in many cases, that makes them free to reoffend. Uh, the Probably the more important piece has to do with the special prosecutor. Uh, House Bill 301 has really been my focus. Uh, sadly, I think an awful lot of people have been uh, not just willing to make it about the circuit attorney as an individual, uh, I think there's almost been a deliberate effort to make it that, uh, and, it, and it's not. Uh, regardless of who the circuit attorney was, uh, gender, race, any other uh, uh, quality aside, the real question is the people who are committing violent crime in St. Louis uh, are not being prosecuted and held accountable. That's just the truth. So my concern is, how do we go about correcting that? Regardless of who the circuit attorney is, if that person is not performing and if we're not holding uh, criminals accountable, it, it creates that sort of environment where people who are law-abiding are literally feeling insecure in their own homes. It's affecting the entire state, and that's really how I got involved. Uh, the, if you talk to people outside of Missouri, they will tell you they see uh, Missouri as a dangerous and somewhat lawless state. Inside Missouri, when we talk about uh, crime, frequently we will be thinking of St. Louis. And the truth of the matter is that the, the crime data associated with the state of Missouri is disproportionately driven by what occurs in St. Louis. That affects our reputation nationally, internationally, economically, academically. Uh, people are reluctant to bring their businesses here, to send their children to our, our uh, learning institutions. Uh, it's difficult. And, and this is truly, even on the international level, people recognize Missouri as a violent place, and in particular, St. Louis. And St. Louis is quick to tell you, with some validity, they're quick to tell you they are the state's economic engine. 
I would certainly not argue with that, but with that designation comes some degree of responsibility and understanding that whatever happens in St. Louis reflects on the entire state, and it even affects us as far away as Joplin uh, and every corner of the state. Uh, it's not just a local control issue because the impacts of what's going on there are so uh, broadly spread across the state. I'm glad that you brought that up because I think that it's easy to pick that apart from your bill, which obviously covers a lot of other things in relation to public safety. But obviously, at the time of this recording, for those listening, the uh, state attorney general, Andrew Bailey, uh, went to court, I believe, the day before with uh, Circuit Attorney Kim Gardner. He filed a, a quo warranto wanting to basically get her to resign, wanting to basically oust her from office for a lot of those same reasons. And I think it's easy to kind of take that from your bill because of what you had mentioned, the crime that's happening in St. Louis and uh, how you had previously said in an interview, I'm going to say, I believe you had with us before the legislature even began on how the crime rates in St. Louis and Kansas City even affect the entire state. Uh, so my question is, because we were talking about this a little bit, what is your point of view on what's happening with Kim Gardner? Should she, uh, you know, like this is going on, be ousted from office? Well, the the attorney general's entire uh, case for Cole Warnto is based on her performance. Uh, and that's the issue. Uh, it's based on the fact that she's not performing. And in fact, within the last few days, uh, we've seen more prosecutors leave her office uh, we have a judge now who is actually considering contempt because at a, at a murder trial, nobody from the circuit attorney's office made appearance. Uh, there was a, a, a truly sad and tragic event not long ago where a young woman who was visiting for an athletic event uh, was injured by somebody, in my mind, who should have been in jail but was not, uh, and ultimately lost her legs. When the individual who who caused that injury appeared in court to make an, a plea, there was nobody there from the circuit attorney's office. Now, at the very least, given the high-profile nature of that event, somebody should have been there. And it, it is that kind of, uh, you, you can call it incompetence, you can call it uh, indifference, uh, maybe it's a result of their of their caseload and number of people available. Whatever the reason, it's the end result that I'm concerned with. When people commit these crimes, they're not being held accountable. Why they're not being accountable is certainly uh, a topic for conversation. Uh, but in the final analysis, it doesn't actually matter why if you're the victim uh, and the person who victimized you is not being held accountable. That's that's not justice. And if you're just tuning in, we're talking with Republican Representative Lane Roberts of Joplin, his public safety bill, House Bill 301. At the time of this recording, it passed the House of Representatives, awaiting debate in the state Senate. And, and I also know, because uh, I primarily cover and focus on the state Senate, um, I also know that there's a, a, a wide-ranging crime uh, law bill that's uh, going through the state Senate right now, currently in the, I believe, perfection phase. So my question is, in some way, shape, or form, something in relation to crime and public safety, it would appear, could and would pass the state legislature this year. So for your House Bill 301, it's awaiting debate in the Senate, but what 
happens next. My understanding is that the the bill uh, has undergone some change. It was heard in the Senate Judiciary. Uh, it was passed out of that committee, uh, and uh, it has been through the Senate's fiscal review and passed out of that committee. So the next step for it is to be debated on the floor. Um, my, I have a couple of fears. W one is that uh, the debate will be turned into a question of race. And as I've said, that's something that people have re almost resorted to as a way to to uh, argue against what I think is a common-sense decision. Um, the other is that people think that should the attorney general succeed, uh, that that solves the problem. And I would reiterate, this is not about the person. It's about the end result. Uh, the young person who left their office most recently, that's one of their people handling most of their violent crimes. Uh, there's like 470 uh, serious felonies that is now divided between three or four prosecutors. That just isn't not just difficult. That is absolutely impossible. It can't be done. So there, there needs to be a correction. Whether you want to hold Kim Gardner personally responsible, I'm going to leave to the voters. My concern is not with who, but what. Because as long as this continues, our entire state is going to suffer from it. And the idea, and I've had people tell me, this is none of your business, this is about St. Louis, I simply reject that. Um, there are Missourian lives at stake. Uh, it is people in, uh, who, are, who are Missourians who are dying or being injured or feel threatened in their homes. Uh, and, you know, I've spent my entire life uh, standing between uh, victims and those who had victimized them. I just refuse to be told it's none of my business. There needs to be a correction. I'm in a position to maybe help facilitate that. Uh, I intend to do so. If that bill passes the Senate, then the governor has the option. There's nothing that compels the governor to do this. But certainly the governor now has a mechanism when things get out of control in St. Louis, the state has the ability to maybe lend uh, itself to correcting that. It's called House Bill 301. You can keep up with the latest movements of that piece of legislation at house.mo.gov. That's Republican Representative Lane Roberts of Joplin. This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. Show me today.